0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Miss the show, no problems. Coming up on point and on the podcast, Michael Kovrig once fronted a punk band in Budapest. Go figure, who would have known? And now that punk band is coming to his aid, writing a song they hope will go global and bring pressure to bring him home. Is mandating vaccines the answer? Ontario is not going to force teachers or students to get vaccinated. And while some people say it should be a forced thing, when a medical expert says actually it can make hesitancy worse. And we'll talk about how political this pandemic has become as we learn one of the members of the science table is now running for the Liberals in the next election. Let's get talking.
2: Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man. is on
3: point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.
4: The government has made a decision in the context um, of mandating vaccines. And we're not going to do that. We'll respect the choices individuals will make. But at the same time, we can be strong advocates for vaccines as a safe way to reduce risk and to allow for a more normal return to class and to be quite frank, a more, um, uh, a more normal September and, and fall and beyond.
1: Kids won't have to get COVID vaccines to go to school, but even if they did, hey, the government doesn't even keep track. Alex, Pearson with you on what I think has been a very golden Wednesday, August 4th. Just a great start to the day. I don't know if you watched the race. I certainly did. Uh, nice to see Andre de smoking the competition in just, uh, what a beauty of a run, eh? He deserves every accolade he gets, uh, and he gives new meaning to second win because he goes full- t- Full turbo when everyone else is petering out. But uh, just a really nice moment for a guy. Uh, it's hard to believe he started running only nine years ago. Can you imagine if he actually started earlier how much faster or better he might be? But boy, was that a great way to start the day. And then we got down to business. And we got a lot of confusing messaging coming out of Queen's Park uh, because the education minister, Stephen Lecce, confirms that kids won't be forced, uh, nor, nor teachers for that matter, to get vaccinated before returning to school. And for you know, whatever reason, the medical officer of health says even if it was mandated, they don't keep track.
2: I do not anticipate any difference uh, approach, uh, whether it child's vaccinated or unvaccinated, on any activities within the school setting. Um, uh, we would not be knowledgeable of their immune status, uh, and, and um, there shouldn't be any barriers uh, or stigmatization uh, of children who have not received a vaccine in any way in, in, in normal activities uh, throughout the school year.
1: You know, for months we've been told how crucial it is to get these kids vaccinated, and no one's keeping track. No one thought, maybe we should keep track of this. But they're also not tracking teacher vaccination rates either. I don't know how that's possible. Why is it, you know, 16 month in, we are always caught flat-footed. Hey, we don't trace, you know, we don't track who gets the shot. You know, so don't be surprised when a bunch of teachers say, oh, by the way, I can't, I can't teach, I didn't get the shot. And, of course, the unions uh, don't like any plan that's being put out by the Ford government. Color me shocked. I mean, they don't like any plan that doesn't just, you know, involve more money and less work. So I don't give a lot of um, credence to that complaint. But when uh, we head back to school, we're actually not going to know who is and who is not protected. And we don't have the right to ask. And we certainly don't, you know, have the right to tell those who aren't to stay home. But when it comes to the issue of vaccines, I mean, we've got a very spotty record in this province. So let's put the COVID vaccine aside. We as parents, I mean, we've always been told that vaccines are mandatory for kids to go to school in this province. But it is just not true. I mean, the laws, yes, on the books say kids attending school in Ontario must be immunized against nine different diseases, you know, chickenpox, rubella, mumps, polio, hepatitis, and a a few others. But long before COVID vaccination rates, uh, COVID came along, these vaccination rates in kids have been plunging in this province. And just before COVID, I mean, pediatricians and the Ontario Medical Officer uh, Association had been warning that we are losing herd immunity against diseases once eradicated, and now they're back. Diseases like measles are again on the rise. And medical exemptions are one thing. but We've got growing numbers of parents who are skipping vaccines using reasons like conscience or religion. In other words, we have allowed a whole lot of people to exploit a loophole. And more concerning... During this pandemic, pediatricians have been reporting huge numbers of parents in Canada that still haven't gotten babies or toddlers first or second shots because of lockdown measures. And around the world, health bodies say millions of kids are missing vaccine shots. What this means is that not only is COVID a risk, but we have these lethal diseases on the rise around the world and far too many kids unprotected. And some of those kids will be back in Ontario schools come September. So for all those outraged that COVID vaccines aren't being mandated, I think they should be equally, if not more, concerned that our very spotty vaccine rules have left us all vulnerable to, you know, diseases that we had beat in this country. We had gotten rid of these diseases because we had herd immunity. And they are every bit as dangerous as covid And we have no idea who or how many of us are actually protected and what risk it will pose to society at large. And then there were other questions the minister was asked, oh, about air filters and, you know, all sorts of things. But the one question not one reporter bothered to ask this minister is what's the plan to catch kids up? What are school boards What is the province doing to make up 26 weeks of disastrous online learning? We know, I've talked about this a lot on this show, that the experts have said the COVID slide, that's what they call it, has robbed kids of about a year and a half of actual learning. And that the questions are not being asked, I think is appalling. And that missing huge parts of the curriculum especially in younger kids who need that foundation. I mean, it's not even a thought to those in charge. It is unconscionable. And yet here we are, just a month from the start of school, and we're completely indifferent to the fact that millions of kids are not ready to move into the next grade, and those in charge are just going to say, shove them through. There is no vaccination that's going to solve that. And I'm not sure why we just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, okay, it might be tougher to do at the high school level of keeping kids back, but certainly at the elementary level, there's no reason why they can't hold kids back and say, look, we're just going to redo the year. We had 16 months to figure this out. And I've heard nothing. Summer school is not going to solve it. These kids are too far behind. This is something that would have required a plan. And it doesn't look like anyone in the board has bothered to plan for that. certainly doesn't look like anyone in the province has bothered to come up with a plan for that. So come September, a lot of parents are going to be saying, okay, so what's the deal? Are we reviewing materials? What are we doing? Because it's going to take a lot more than just a couple of weeks to get a lot of these kids caught up to the point of where they're ready to move on. It's bad enough that we're allowing high school kids that we know have missed big parts of the curriculum to move on. But it's like this whole generation of kids, you know, will move along because, hey, we don't want to fail anybody. We don't want to make them feel bad. So we'll just push them through knowing full well they aren't ready. And those who will be affected most, of course, will be those in, in marginalized communities, in lower-income communities. They will be affected the most. And yet it's just collective, oh, well. I guess we'll figure it out. We'll just keep talking about the COVID, not about the collateral damage. But we will pay for it in time, no question about it, because uh, those dealing with this, pediatricians have been saying, this will affect this whole generation and how their life unfolds in the coming years. And I guess we'll look back and say, gee, shoulda, coulda, woulda, right? Because again... If we learn nothing in this pandemic, we are very reactive.
3: This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.
0: Inside
1: All right, well, that is not any old punk song. You are listening to a song with an important message to all governments, and that is to get the two Michaels released. But it is uh, written with a very special connection to Michael Kovrig because it's written by the Hungarian punk band he both founded and fronted back in 1996. And Bankrupt is the group, and this song is called The Plane to Toronto, and it's just the latest attempt to raise awareness of Kovrig's dire circumstances with all the proceeds going to a hostage Uh, International. And the song lyrics, I think, speak to the hell he is going through. Quote, inside is hell, outside is heaven, and the lights are on 24-7. Hold on, please. We're going to get you home. It's been a long time, but you've never been alone. You've got to know bad times won't last forever. And in no time, I know you'll be on the plane to Toronto. And believe it or not, a month from today will mark 1,000 days since both Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor were kidnapped and wrongfully jailed by China in what was a farce of a trial where they've been convicted and now await sentences, which will be nothing short of life. Balash Sharkati joins us now. He is the lead singer and bassist for Bankrupt, joining us all the way from Budapest. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: So you last saw Michael Kovrig in 2017. He was visiting Budapest and came to see one of your shows. And then, you know, you brought him up on stage. I guess he was a bit begrudging about it. And you reunited the band after two decades apart. And his, I think it's interesting. His stage name was Michael K., which is a reference to the protagonist of Franz Kafka's novel, The Trial, which is about a man arbitrarily prosecuted by a totalitarian state. And then a year and a half later, he was arrested by... A totalitarian state. Um, you know, it, it, this is. I don't think a lot of people would know that Mr. Covid was a, a punk singer or in a punk band, but I think I think it's really telling uh, the irony in this.
0: Yes, I, I think it's uh, it's one of the reasons why why we uh, brought out this song that uh, we want people to know that uh, Michael did other stuff like cool things. Mm-hmm. 'cause you know if they just hear that uh there's a diplomat being arrested uh in China, they may not relate to him as uh, easily as if they hear that it's it's a guy who was a singer in a band that's uh you know someone who was wearing a leather jacket and and not they don't just think of a guy in suit so mm-hmm. I, I think uh, it 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 helps to to get more sympathy uh for him. And um, I, I think it's, it's really important that uh, we should get more people involved in this uh, issue, that people need to uh, stand with him. And uh, basically, this will eventually put more pressure on the politicians to, to bring the right decision and get him out finally together yeah. with, the, with the other Michael.
1: It's interesting to hear that music was such a huge part of his life. And, you know, punk, of course, is the genre that always is really pushing politics and sending a message uh, to government. And the song he sang with you guys last night really had those ominous words. He said, you know, quote, I'm sitting in my room and I think there's nothing I can do against this gloom. If you don't listen, I'll go crazy on my own. He has been alone in a twenty—I don't even know how big the cell is—but for for a thousand days, he, Michael Spavor, have been alone with their thoughts. How much do you think, knowing him the way you do, would music be playing in his head and, um, you know, keeping his mind, uh, you know, able?
0: From what I heard uh, from uh, his sister Ariana and uh, his wife uh, Vina, My- Michael is. Uh, singing in a cell so that's that is one of the things that uh keeps him going that he, he's reading a lot of books he's uh training card every day and, and and he's also singing so especially uh, the first uh, i think first six months was, was uh, solitary confinement now he has cellmates uh, but uh, for the first, first uh, six months he was uh, completely alone And I think that was probably the hardest uh, part of this ordeal. And uh, music was definitely one of the things that uh, helped him get through this.
1: Knowing him the way that you do on a much more personal basis, um, just knowing the kind of guy he is, uh, and we've always heard that both of the Michaels are quite strong mentally, but uh, uh, it would take uh, the strongest of minds um, and the toughest of people to endure what they have been through. But knowing him the way you do, um, what kind of information can you shed for us as to, to you know what it's been like to watch this and, and what you think he might be going through?
0: I, I've had the chance to read uh, some of his uh, letters to the f- family and friends. And uh, they are uh, really moving. So they the words and sentences that uh, he put together uh, for his wife for example it's really like poetry so it's it's uh I, I recommend uh, everyone um, to, to check out that there's, there's a video interview with uh, Vina where she reads uh, out uh, from these letters and that's uh, that's really moving so it's, it's it really shows that uh Michael is uh, a, a really sensitive uh, and uh, good hearted uh, person. And um, I also I like, it, it's, it's interesting that uh, he kind of thinks of himself in, in, this, in the cell. Now he has these Chinese uh, cellmates who, who never met uh, anyone from the West before. And, and he, Michael thinks of himself now as representing Canada there. And uh, he he was he he wrote in the letter that he was uh, was uh, concerned that uh, he wanted to make a, a good impression on on uh-huh. these uh, people because I mean there are some uh, Canadians that are, are popular in uh, China. There is a comedian called Dashan, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then the, he, he mentioned that he, he wants them to to get to know another good Canadian.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, and and hopefully he is driving uh, the Chinese, um, you know, captors uh, crazy by singing um, his punk music. But, you know, you wouldn't associate him uh, with that. We know him, as you say, as a diplomat, as a guy wearing a suit, Um, you know, that that Canadians just don't have a real intimate knowledge of either of these men. And so it's interesting to get this uh, view of him. Uh, was he a leader? I mean, he was a front man of a band. He started this band. Um, and so, you know, is he the kind of guy in your mind that when this, God willing, this ends for him, um, will he, you know, come back to who he was?
0: I think so. I mean, I'm sure that uh, this uh, experience will will haunt him for mm-hmm. a while, probably come back in like nightmares and stuff. I, I think that's probably unavoidable, but... Uh, I, I think he will he will get out of this uh, saying and uh, unscathed. So, so so he he's really determined to to ma- make this and and uh, I, I think he he can do it. I mean he he was always a, a big uh, influence on me while uh, we were together in the band. I, I learned uh, a lot mm-hmm. uh, from from him also about. Uh, pop culture because he, he's really knowledgeable. He, he really knows a lot about uh, the, the, the background stories of, of different bands. And uh, he lent me books. Like there's one book I remember. It was uh, about Lester. It was a book by Lester Banks, the famous uh, rock and roll journalist. That was the first time I heard about him. He, he showed it to me. And, and he also introduced us to some bands that, uh were not that uh, popular in in Hungary at the time. And and then he
1: introduced you, he introduced you, you know, anyone who introduces you to the Pixies or a band like the Stranglers uh, has clearly very good taste in music. Uh, So I I do think that's an interesting side to him. Um, You are now crowdsourcing. You want to make, A video And the idea uh, behind this, uh, Balash, is that people around the world record themselves holding a free Michael sign and then they film it, pass it along to the left so that the next person can pick up their video. This is a global solidarity movement for action. How do people get involved with this? Because Canadians are very passionate about these two men and getting them freed. Um, And we do need to keep the pressure up on the government to be tougher.
0: So, so we have a description on, on our website. Uh, the address is bankrupt.hu and uh, we, we describe uh, exactly, I mean, you, you can download a, a free Michael Kubrick poster that uh, one of our friends, uh, a graphic artist and named uh, Richard Vosch, he uh, created uh, this um, really good artwork of, of Michael and mm. um, people can uh, download this uh, poster and, and they can uh, print it. And then uh, I- I'm showing the, the exact uh, movement uh, they need to do. Um, so so I- I'd like to ask uh, everyone who wants to participate uh, in this music video to, to read uh, the instructions and... Uh, There is an an email address uh, there. Uh, my email address uh, to to which uh, we are expecting the the videos. And I I hope that there will be uh, many videos from uh, different uh, countries. We already have uh, some from the US and uh, we may have from, from from Russia as well. There was one guy who was asking if, if uh, he should make one on the Red Square. And that sounds <laughs> like uh, interesting. I, I hope that we'll, we will get that one. and, okay. and, and uh And, and uh, of course, uh, a lot of from Hungary, a lot of our friends uh, said that they would do this. And, and uh, of course, I mean, we we expect that uh, we get some from Canada. I mean, the song's called Planet Toronto. So I, I definitely want some Toronto uh, backgrounds. Uh, in this uh, video. So I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, this will be um, a success. So if, if, if we get uh, enough videos, I mean, as soon as we have the, the material, uh, we will put together the right. music video and, and, and uh, we want to uh, release it uh, as soon as uh, possible because we, we really feel that uh, time is uh, running out yes. now, now, yeah. now that this uh, extradition...
3: Mm-hmm, Earrings
0: mm-hmm. are, are in the final uh, stage, stage. Uh, I, I, I think we need to we need to come forward with with this as soon as possible
1: I agree with you and we know the Chinese don't like getting attention focused on this so I'm happy to make sure as much focus uh, gets sent to them I thank you so much Balash. we will talk again maybe we can have you on again in a couple of weeks but uh, we'll get the word out and we'll get this video made appreciate your time and your thoughts and your insight into this uh, into michael kovrig
0: thank you for for letting me in the show and it was a pleasure talking to you
1: you as well that is balash sharkati the ba- the uh, website is bankrupt.hu. you got to do this before august 14th all the instructions are there it's not hard you can do it on your iphone hold up the sign make your message loud and clear but let's get behind this movement and get these men freed
4: Our government has been clear, our premier has been clear, we will not mandate vaccine requirement uh, for schools and for staff at this point. That's not a decision point uh, we're going to proceed with. Our aim is to encourage vaccination at a voluntary level. Uh, It is promising to see the general population numbers move north of 80 percent and a great level of partnership with public health units and school boards to their great credit of really encouraging parents, staff and students themselves, 12 plus to get a vaccine. And we believe by doing so, we will help restore that more normal school experience we all aspire to achieve.
1: There you go. The education minister urging but not telling you to get vaccinated because it is not going to be mandatory, not for students nor for teachers. And look, I don't believe anyone should be forced to put anything in their body. But that does not mean that there aren't consequences if you should refuse. Like, why should you be able to be a a teacher, nurse, or healthcare worker on the front lines and put others at risk because you choose not to get vaccinated? And why do we have laws in this province that say we parents have to get kids vaccinated to go to school, just not for COVID, And so is the province wrong not forcing this? Why doesn't this seem to have a bit of rhyme and reason? Dr. Sohail Gandhi is a family physician, also the former head of the Ontario Medical Association. Doctor, thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: One of the things, I've got a couple of things I wanted to, to ask you about. Um, you know, there there seems to be kind of a, a pick and choose which vaccination we need. Why would the COVID vaccine not be a mandatory requirement like measles and all these other things that we're told kids have to get vaccinated for? So like, why is there a discrepancy here?
2: Well, there's two reasons for that. Uh, the first thing is the COVID vaccine still has not been approved for children under age 12. There are some trials ongoing and at this Point in time, Health Canada hasn't said that it's safe to give to children under age 12, right? So that takes uh, that off the board right away. Uh, You know, the second issue is that the COVID vaccine in people whom it's approved for is an exceptionally good vaccine. Uh, You know, the two mRNA vaccines that we have right now, Moderna and Pfizer, you know, I think you can make an argument that these are probably the most effective vaccines that have ever been developed for any disease, And if that's the case, if they are as effective as physicians like myself have been saying all along, what that effectively means is that if you're scared of getting COVID, if you're worried about COVID, get fully vaccinated and you'll be protected and you will be able to go into environments where COVID exists and you will be protected, right? Uh, So if that's the case... It it makes it hard to then turn around and justify saying, well, okay, you got the vaccine because we told you it was so effective. Oh, but we've got to, you know, we've got to immunize or we've got to force other people somehow or coerce other people somehow to get vaccinated, right? It's it's, it's not great messaging uh, if you do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was rather surprised. Though, does it surprise you to hear that there's no tracking of who's getting them uh, when it comes to kids or teachers? I mean, they are the front lines, and, and you know, there's a privacy element, but at the same time, we want to know who is coming into contact with who, but we don't seem to track it.
2: Yeah, and and so our healthcare system does a doesn't do a very good job of tracking things at the best of times. Um, I think it's good to have overall numbers. So it's nice to know, for example, uh, you know, I work in a nursing home as well. And it's nice for me to be able to go out and say, hey, listen, we're doing really well. We've got 95% of our our nursing home staff is vaccinated. Um, It it becomes a real problem when you say which individual is vaccinated, right? That's where I think the privacy issues are are really paramount in in terms of disclosing personal information.
1: During this pandemic, I've read uh, several, um, you know, articles about kids who are going unvaccinated. And it could be from lockdown measures. Parents just can't get them to their doctors because the doctor's offices are shut down. But we, we know that there are numbers of children out there, millions around the world who are not getting vaccinated for things like measles, rubella, polio, mm-hmm. diseases that have made a comeback. How concerned are you? that there'll be growing numbers of kids in schools without these vital shots at a time when we have COVID and at a time when we know that things like measles are are no longer eradicated?
2: Yeah, so actually, first of all, doctor's offices have been open all along during the pandemic. It's a bit of a myth to say family doctors haven't been open. with respect to these other diseases that are resurgent, and, and that's really my big concern, is that in order to engage uh, the parents of children in particular who, who might be vaccine hesitant, who aren't getting their children vaccinated, we need to provide consistent and clear messaging to those parents. And, when, and this is where I, I really have some issues with, with vaccine certificates, because on the one hand, if you say, hey, this vaccine is great, and your child is going to be completely protected, but on the other hand, you send a message out that that's kind of the opposite. They said, oh, in order to protect your children, we've got to do these other coercive mes- messages. What it does is it actually feeds into the distrust of healthcare professionals and healthcare mm-hmm. authorities, right? And then it doesn't build the confidence that we need to build uh, to engage people who have uh, questions about vaccines and to, to engage with them and to show them the evidence and to say, hey, look, do you know that 99.5% of people who are in hospital with COVID or in the ICU are not vaccinated. And this is now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. You know, we've got all the facts on our side. We've got the ability to use that positive information uh, to urge people to get vaccinated. and, And we need to be doing that.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people just assume that it's a bunch of middle-aged uh, white guys uh, from Alberta that don't get vaccinated. And that that is an absolute mistruth. I mean, if you look at the stats, um, it is actually a lot of people in lower, marginalized communities um, who might not be, uh, you know, able to get access to the information or just don't trust those in charge, uh, and that is a big problem.
2: Yeah, yeah, and, and so my, my worry, as I say, is, you know, how do you build that trust? Do you build that trust by uh, a, a method that regardless of what anyone's personal opinion on it is, is going to be viewed by a, a group of people as coercive, right, or do you gain that trust by going out into the community? You know, there's there's a group out there called thisisourshot.ca, and what they've done is they've got all this vaccine information in 31 different languages that they're promoting uh, throughout uh, the the province, because we're such a multicultural and diverse province, right? So you can get this positive information, this this good, fair, accurate information in the language of your choice. And it's mm-hmm. those kind of efforts that I think are responsible for the fact that we actually have a higher percentage of people vaccinated right now than I honestly thought we would at this stage. Uh, I thought it would be a little bit of a harder fight, frankly. Um, and, and I'm really glad to see that. I really need to emphasize that these these vaccines are, are just that good. That I that I really support people getting vaccinated.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because once upon a time, it seems so long ago now, but it was like 2019 when the Ontario Medical Officer of, uh, of Health, or I think it was the Ontario um, yeah, Medical Association, was waving the, the, you know, sounding the alarms on herd immunity dropping because mm. parents were getting out of um, getting vaccination through loopholes, whether it was for religious reasons or anything else, and there was a real concern that we just didn't have the numbers needed to get kids vaccinated. Yep. How concerned are you that the gap in that now has gone? much wider.
2: So uh, I'm quite uh, concerned about even one child going unvaccinated. Uh, I do believe that one of the things this pandemic has done in uh, it's probably the only positive thing out of this miserable past 16 months is that it's shown people What an unvaccinated world would look like Mm. when we're not uh, vaccinated against COVID, you see what happens. And if none of us get vaccinated against measles or mumps or any of the other illnesses, that's what's going to happen to this world. Um, And that's the only positive thing you could say. Uh so I, I believe there's been a decrease in the vaccine hesitancy, and I don't want to see it go up again. Uh, I, yeah. I want to continue to encourage uh, people to get uh, vaccines for all the, uh, the illnesses that are out there, not just COVID.
1: Yeah, Lord help us if other diseases take hold, uh, you know, while we're dealing with this, but uh, it can be prevented. Uh, doctor, appreciate your time very much and allowing me to pick your brain. Thank you.
2: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: That is Dr. Sahail Gandhi. He is uh, the former head of the Ontario Medical Association. And If ever you need a proof how political this pandemic is, uh, maybe we've got some proof. Toronto Sun reporting that uh, a prominent doctor who sits on the Ontario science table is being acclaimed as an Ontario Liberal candidate in June's uh, provincial election of next year. His name is Dr. Nathan Stahl. He's going to be a star candidate in my riding, the Toronto riding of St. Paul. And look, no problem. If he's a doctor, no problem. But Stahl plans to run against Premier Ford at the same time he serves on the science table. And so how this is not a conflict of interest is beyond me. Um, You know, we're told that the science table is not partisan, but I think it... uh, Probably is. Anthony Fury is a Toronto Sun columnist. He is the one who broke the story. Good to have you.
3: Hey, Alex. Great to be here.
1: So Dr. Stahl advised the top brass at the table um, that he was going to do this. Uh, Apparently they signed off on this and he insists, you know, hey, my contributions are strictly scientific. Well, how can you say that? I mean, if you've got political ambitions and you're trying to win an election, you can't parse the two.
3: Yeah, that's right. So uh, Dr. Stahl told The Sun that he had indeed told uh, Stanny Brown, who's the head of the Ontario Science Table, and Brian Schwartz, who's the co-chair, said, look, guys, I'm planning to do this to seek the Liberal nomination, to be the Liberal candidate in the Toronto St. Paul's riding. And uh, it seems like he's the only one. He's sort of the party-picked individual uh, for that nomination. So it seems like he will be acclaimed later on this month. And he told them this is happening. And they, I guess, said, okay, thanks for the heads up. Uh, We like what you do. So you're still on the science table. And that's that. And uh, the science table confirmed that to me. and, And Dr. Stahl confirmed that. So, Uh, they see nothing wrong with all of this, even though the science table is, of course, supposed to be this nonpartisan entity that's sort of, you know, serving the best interests of all Ontarians without any kind of whiff of of partisan component that maybe they can agree or disagree with Doug Ford and and Health Minister Christine Elliott, who's, of course, a PC Cabinet Minister and so forth, without there being any even whiff of uh, partisan component to it. And this certainly does seem to change uh, that equation.
1: Well, yeah, I mean... (laughs) And uh, maybe he's getting his first taste of how rough politics is going to really be. Um, but, you know, it's not the first time that you have reported on this. There was uh, Dr. Fistman, who you wrote about taking payments from the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario. And, you know, here he is sitting on the science table, but also working on plans to help the, you know, Federation, uh, the, the teachers unions. Um, you know, with their school reopening plans or fighting back against this particular government on its policies. Again, it's met with outrage, and, and you were condemned roundly for pointing that out. But when people say, like, are these decisions being made for political gain, medical gain, or or our gain, uh, this puts it all into question.
3: No, it absolutely does. And also, uh, Dr. David Fisman did participate in at least two events uh, related to Liberal candidates. Uh, and their sort of campaigns uh, this calendar year. I've noticed other Science Table members on social media have made rather sort of partisan comments about, oh, well, don't forget this about Doug Ford, you know, in the next election and so forth. Uh, Definitely political components. and, And one goes, what's going on here? I mean, we want just the facts, What exactly is being discussed? I mean, why do they feel that a hint of political advocacy is appropriate for all of this? I mean, I have no doubt that there are, of course, uh, senior public servants out there who uh, very much agree or disagree with the government. They're more NDP inclined or Green Party inclined or what have you. But they understand that there's got to be a firewall there. So you never really hear it from them. And I feel like the science table... Uh, hasn't really figured that out and that's a bit worrisome i mean to your earlier point if uh if doctors out there whether they're science table members or or family doctors or what have you want to run for office that's great In that very writing, Alex, you're writing, as you know, Dr. Eric Hoskins was the Mm MPP before Jill Andrews got in as the NDP, or Dr. Carolyn Bennett has been the federal MP for 80 years in that writing, and that's completely (laughs) fine. But this is a different situation here. This is someone who's sitting on the science table and says he's not going to give up sitting on the science table. And one must also wonder how long has this been in the works, because a liberal source tells me he is the preferred candidate by the party apparatus, so he's been chatting behind the scenes uh, with the Liberal Party for probably for some time. So you've got to think that he's had that uh, in the back of his head when he he does his discussions and his advocacy. And when you actually look at his social media account, he is a big booster of Oh, the province has to bring in domestic vaccine passports, which Doug Ford has said no to, and other things that seem like maybe they do actually align with what uh, Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca wants to say. And and maybe Nathan Stahl has sort of, you know, partially been a science table expert and partially been uh, someone with uh, a Liberal candidacy at the back of his head when he makes his pronouncements.
1: Yeah. And the problem is, you know, if these are people creating noise, creating doubt and seeding, you know, sowing the seeds of doubt to policies yeah. that the premier is coming out of based on, you know, the decisions of the science table, then that is a problem. Because if you have political ambitious ambitions and you are proactively kind of campaigning secretly against these policy decisions, you know, the, the, the people who are getting hurt the most are the citizens of this province who are trying to figure out which is left, which is right. What are we doing? Are we going back? Are we going forward? Are we locking down? Are we opening up? Because they all have their own special interests.
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the science table is playing a few games now and they are kind of stepping out of their wheelhouse when they issued uh, an advisory paper on uh, vaccine passports, domestic passports. It's like, well, hold on a second. This, this actually isn't really strict medical advice. This is a broader public policy issue, I don't know if they should really be talking about this. I I really think it's beyond their expertise. Uh, The other week, they had a problem with an article that I wrote, and they actually uh, publicly posted correspondence they had sent to me uh, on their own website. And I go, whatever, we can work out our disagreements. But that kind of seemed like a bit of a stunt to me, things that are, are just kind of beyond... Uh, what they should be doing right now in a public setting. I mean, I, I think they have a real problem uh, defining themselves right now. And part of the problem is actually their entire structure. I think a lot of people believe they are a government advisory committee. So you will hear, right. why didn't Doug Ford do what the science table said? And it's like, well, actually, the science table is not actually connected to the Ontario government at all. They provide them a little bit of support. Uh, to I'm not sure what it's for, like a small bit of money. It doesn't go to anybody personally. Uh, but otherwise, they're just this sort of ad hoc operation put together at the discretion of the Dalai Lana School of Public Health. It is not formally affiliated with the provincial government at all. So people say, why isn't Doug Ford uh, in the agenda? Why, why won't he give Nathan Stahl the boot and so forth? Well, because Doug Ford actually has no power over them. He also doesn't have to listen to them at all. Uh, Steiny Brown never actually needed to be at those press conferences beside uh, Dr. David Williams. Maybe you thought it was good that he was there and there's a value added component, but he was just kind of like a random guy up there on the table. He was not a government figure.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is, it just seems in this pandemic that there are a number of of doctors and scientists who have gotten very, um, you know, they they like the celebrity, they have a lot of power. Um, You know, when you mix politics and science, the bottom line is politicians are elected officials and scientists are not.
3: Yeah, exactly. And one wonders, well, it's been a year and a half where some uh, medical authorities, they've had people go up to them and say, what should I do? Where should I go? How far apart should I stand from people? Please tell me how to live, micromanage our lives. And some doctors have told me they're really looking forward to when they never have to go on radio or TV again, because that's not uh, what they set out to be. But I think there are other people out there who go, well, I kind of like this. People are asking me to basically control the world. And well, maybe I'd like to keep that going.
1: Yeah, hence why we keep going into the same strategy of lockdown and lockdown. It's almost like they're addicted to that treatment. All right, well, we'll stay tuned and see if maybe the head of the science table has a change of tune. But right now, uh, it's uh, not looking like, uh, if it looks like it smells, then it does indeed smell. Anthony, great job. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Anthony Fury, and you can read his latest on this particular issue in of the Toronto Sun. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can listen live with us Monday through Friday, starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio.